Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. DJ Khaled. Yeah. All I do is win, 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 no matter what. Got money on my mind. I can never get enough. And every time I step up in the building, everybody hands go up. And they stay there. All right, hey everybody. This is the Mac. This is the No Chaser Show with Mac Williams. I am uh, here today on a Friday night, as I am at eight o'clock. Um, and uh, the show is sponsored by Trinity Web Solutions. TrinityWebSolutions.org. You can get email, web, uh, do-it-yourself websites. Everything is offered there. So when you get a chance, if you have a business, if you have any ideas or anything. You can go over to uh, trinitywebsolutions.org. That is trinitywebsolutions.org. Tonight, I have a special guest. He was supposed to be here last week, but he got busy, um, and he's here today. And um, his name is Scott Hirsch. He is the CEO and founder of AppSpar, one of the places I found on the Internet one day by mistake and looked him up, found him on Facebook, became friends with him, and, I have him here on the show, uh, so I want to introduce everybody to Scott Hurst, CEO of Apps Bar. Hey, Scott, how you doing? I'm doing great. It's great to be on the show. Good. Thank you. Thank you for coming, man. Thank you for spending the hour with us, man. I really appreciate that. Um, <clears throat> Scott, tell us um, tell us a little bit about um, what I really want to delve into first is um, uh, what is your, you know, tell us a little bit about your background as far as, like, you know, where did you start as far as in business or wherever you started from? Tell us a little bit about, about where you started from. Going back a ways to the mid-'80s, I was uh, one of the people that helped to start a company called Lens Express, and it was a novel idea of getting contact lenses directly to the consumers, much like a pharmacist sells you your refills, for your prescriptions, mm-hmm. you don't need to get it from the doctor right. at an inflated price. Right. The same with the contact lenses. Mm-hmm. And uh, as much as that sounds pretty normal today, with a, our, our company ended up becoming 1-800-CONTACTS. That's what they're known as today, but it was unheard oh, okay. of at that time. And in 1991, uh, I was turned on to something called the bulletin board systems, which was the earliest form of online advertising. Hmm. And I'm a, I was really a direct marketer. That's what I consider myself. And what drew me okay. to it was not that I'm especially technical or that I saw something brilliant about it. It was that it was free to advertise. And, you know, okay. no matter how big your budget is, everyone has a limited advertising budget. And I said, wait Absolutely. a minute, there's no cost, to, you know, to try to sell the contacts on here. So in 91, I started with this bulletin board Systems and then later with uh, Galacticom and O'Reilly Web, which are some very early uh, web stuff, and then uh, later uh, Prodigy and CompuServe. We had one of the first, you know, worldwide web sites actually selling merchandise, selling the contact lenses, and went up to Virginia and built a mm-hmm. store for the first ever AOL mall. Mm-hmm. in the early 90s, too, for Lens Express. And about the mid-90s, I said mm-hmm. to myself, as successful as we were selling contact lenses, that there's a whole lot more opportunity on this Internet, on the World Wide Web at the time, you know, selling other things besides contact lenses, and eventually that's what right. I started doing. And okay. by the mid-90s, I started the first ever opt-in email company where folks would give you their email address 
in exchange for information in certain areas. And what I did is the first site I did was called winningkey.com, and okay. we gave away a Porsche every year. And your email address wow. might be the winning key that opens that Porsche up. And wow. it was a, a novel idea at the time, so a lot of people signed up, and uh, it was a very successful company. We sold it later to the credit giant Equifax. Wow. And that would, you know, and I've, I've been in and around online marketing ever since, so from 91 on. And that's what led uh, eventually. I, I did an early social network, which I sold to, to Lehman Brothers. I, I had done promotion for some of the real early web stuff from Yahoo to uh, Napster to MySpace. I'd done a lot wow. of the, the email and, and uh, promotion for them. And AppSpar is where I ended up because I saw a new frontier off of the web and onto the mobile devices as the next generation. Right. And that's that's interesting because it, it's it's funny. Like, I try to use the show, when I'm on the show, I try to use the show to encourage people that um, – to use their, their talents and their ideas and things and monetize them and learn how to monetize them, learn how to uh, pay your bills with them. I'm a big believer in, in taking your talents and, and, and whatever your God-given talent is, is and making it uh, pay you. Because if you work for yourself and you're doing something that you love to do, the money follows. Uh, I really find that. I really find that. And it's funny how you went from one thing to the other thing to the other thing. Now, Scott, let me ask you this. <clears throat> in this process of all the things you, you started doing, um, how did you handle um, adversity or how did you handle, you know, things that fail? Because obviously, you know, on this road to AppSpar, I know you failed probably a lot in, in certain areas. How did you just keep coming back and how did you just keep going? I look at it like this. You only fail if you quit. I just looked at every challenge as a learning experience. Right. I've made a million mistakes, but I but mm -hmm. I hope to think that I've learned from most of them, so I wouldn't at least mm -hmm. make the same one, you know, consecutively. Mm -hmm. Right, exactly. And uh, okay, that's you know that's how I, I look at it. That you only fail if you quit. Right. You know, cause you, well, that's a, well, that's like that's, I said. I'm glad. I'm I'm glad. Huh? And uh, Can you know. Hear me? Oh, okay. Yes, I can. I, I just, oh, okay. uh, you know, I think that that's one of the biggest. Yeah, I think it's one of the biggest problems people have is mm -hmm. they quit or they stop before they're able to have that success they're seeking. It might have been around the right. corner. It might have been another month, another year, whatever the case is. But they quit know? beforehand. Right, they just quit yes. beforehand. I get it. And that's what I tell people all the time. I think uh one of the things that I think I know in the in the black community, I know in my community, I just think we I think um nowadays I think people just quit as soon as there's some obstacle or as soon as something goes wrong, they think that's well it stopped and I just quit and I go to something else and we never stick with it until we do have success. So I I appreciate you saying that. Um now what made you now when you got into Absbar what made you get into that, and how did you how did you get, how did you start with with AppSpot? How did you start? Well, with that? I had I, mean, where is that, I had that started a, a new internet marketing company uh, in 2008, and uh, mm -hmm. I was doing pretty much the same thing I'd done previously. And what I started to see was that much like in the mid 90s, everybody wanted a website, whether they knew, even knew why they wanted one, they wanted one, right. Everybody wanted an app in 2008, 2009. The problem was they just weren't affordable. The average person, these people wanted for a decent app, twenty five and $50,000. Exactly. And to a small business or a medium business, that's cost prohibitive. They can't afford right. that. You know, right. that would literally, you know, that might be their entire advertising budget or it might be more than they make in a quarter or a year or whatever the case is. So I said, this just doesn't right. make sense because you have this huge phenomenon of applications running on smartphones, a million smartphones being sold a day, mm. but yet 
the majority of people and the majority of businesses are being excluded and only the super technical and the largest businesses are getting on board. And it didn't strike me as a good policy uh-huh. and it certainly didn't strike me as fair and it, it shocked me that the large companies that are running these app markets were so happy to keep it this way. And I said, if I can figure out how to get people an application, either free or at a reasonable cost, right, and help to democratize this app world, giving an opportunity to those who are now kept out because of, you know they don't have the prerequisite technical skill, which is a lot of skill, or they don't have thousands Mm -hmm. and thousands of dollars, that we could open up a whole new app market, per se. And I didn't know how you'd make money doing that at the moment, but I knew you could because uh, it was just an opportunity to to really address a real problem in a marketplace. Right. So so let me ask you this. So with with having said all that, um, when you started, uh, what is your what is your usership now? I mean, what is how successful is Apps Bar now? I mean, I don't you know even though I see it on the web and I see it there and I'm like I'm really with it. Like I when I saw it, I was just like, wow, this is incredible. Like you can actually do this, you know, stuff like that. And I went on YouTube and looked at a few videos of some people instructing how to use it and things like that. Um, how many um, how many users since you have started? Because when did Apps Bar start? Okay. What year? Well, did that we start? started in 2011 in, in, in okay. April of 2011. With okay. no users, obviously, we had to start with the first one. And today, mm-hmm. we have uh, 1,200,000 people that have tried AppSpar. They're either built an app with AppSpar or in the process of building an app with AppSpar. Wow. Wow. And we're really proud of that. And uh, we get up to 80,000 people a day coming to the site, you know? Wow. So it's and really and grown. So you, and, so, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and what is your – let me ask you this. Um, what are the limitations to the to the to the app? Are there any obvious limitations, like things that you can't do with the app, or is it strictly? Um, are you guys going to improve it to where it can do more with the apps, or what is the plan moving forward with with AppSpark? That's a good question, and and I'll explain what AppSpark can and can't do very simply without you know boring anyone with, with tons of features that that do and don't exist which is like this. Mm-hmm. If you want to build an app that's going to be your business, AppSpar is not the right platform for you. But if you need an app for your business, whatever that might be, you know, we have local restaurants, we have dry cleaners, we mm-hmm. have charities. Mm-hmm. Right. We have virtually any kind of business you could think of. We have, you know, uh, galleries selling furniture right. and art and things like this. If you need an app for your business, AppSpark can accommodate virtually any business out there, and it's free. Okay. If you need to build an app that's going to be your business, you're going to need a lot of customization because your business has to be different, you know, your app, or else what's the point in doing it? Yes, you can build some video games with AppSpark, but it's not – you're not going to build the next Angry Birds. I'm not, you know, not likely. <laughs> you know, and uh, but Absolutely. you know, but you can have a, there's you can build a very good quality app with AppSpar. There's a lot of features, but it, it isn't. I'm not going to say it's a panacea that you know everyone gets on and builds an app and gets rich. No, much like you need a website for your business at this point with millions and millions of people carrying smartphones everywhere they go, you need an app for your business, and that's where AppSpar fits in. Okay, good. Well, what? let me ask you this. Well, what is your next plan? Is there any plans uh, for AppSpar? Like, is there any features or anything that you're going to add to it, or is it basically just going to be where it is right now, or do you have any plans oh, for it or anything in the future? There will be a new AppSpar in the next three months. Sorry to cut in. I, I should slow no, down no a problem. little bit. In the no next problem. three months. No, no problem. There will a, a full new apps bar, and what we've done is we have added some features, and one of the uh, the biggest things is what we've tried to do is make it more intuitive and easier to use and cut down on the steps it takes you to use. 
Oh, okay. And uh, we've added a lot of the features around design and making the uh, the apps look better and, and easier to build. But there will be some new features. I don't want to talk about too much yet because we're going to be releasing about three months from now. But no, we're no very excited. And AppSpar mm-hmm. is never done. That's my philosophy is that when we do it okay. three months from now, we should very shortly start thinking about what the next version is. Oh, I get it. And I, I understand that. I, and rest assured, Scott, when you have the new, I will be checking with you because when you get the new one, we're going to have you back on. Um, you know, because you. I, like I said, this is, yeah, because this, this thing, I mean, to me, I just went through a friend of mine um, um, who was trying to get and design an app. And I saw all the struggle they went through with, you know, trying to get it done, money. And then if you take shortcuts, you get the guy who can develop it, or you got somebody who got some knowledge on it, but then you always run it. You get what you pay for, I, I find. You know, when you get somebody who can do it for low cost and, you know, you're not paying them as much, you know, you're paying them a little bit, you tend to get that much in effort or whatever else. And I find that that's, uh, that's not a good thing. So, I mean, what I think you have here. Um, I don't think a lot of people know about. I mean, I like I said, I stumbled onto it uh, on the internet one day. I was um, I can't remember how I did it, but I ended up on AppSpar. No, I know what it was. I ended up on your page by mistake. I don't know how I did it, but I saw AppSpar on the top. I think you know what it was. I think because me and you both are are boxing people. Uh, we really love boxing. You're actually in it. I'm just a fan, and I think. One day I saw your name on something, and I tend to, and I tend sometimes when I look at a post, I tend to check the people out who are on the post. And sure, you say, oh, of course I do the same do, thing. Oh, they wonder what they do. Yeah, because I'm always trying to add to, you know, if it, if it's a good person, it's friends and things like that. Um, I try to add on, try to find out. And so I saw, and when I saw Aspar on your top of your page, I was like, I wonder what that is. So I went to it, and that's how I found it. And then I was like, wow. And I was like, oh, this is, you know, and then I read up on your page, whatever, and I was like, you know what, I'm going to send this guy, a, you know, a, a, a friend request. And then I always saw you on uh, <clears throat> anything boxing, you know, your pictures, everything. I just saw it, and I was like, this guy must be somehow, he must be a really good, a really, um, I kept thinking it was different. I kept thinking, oh, he's a rich guy who has the money enough to go to these events and go to boxing and actually see the stuff in person and this and that, and I saw And I was like, oh, that's really cool. So it was kind of funny. So then, then now, now getting to know you, I'm like, oh, okay, I, I see it's a little bit deeper. And when I read up on you and I did my research, I found out that uh, you actually were um, a manager, a boxing manager. Um, how did you, how did you come up with that, Scott? That's what I want to know. How did you come up with, with get, how did you get into that business? Well, that happened, that started much earlier. Uh, when I was okay. a little kid, um, mm-hmm. I grew up here in South Florida. And my grandfather mm-hmm. used to take me to the, what they called the Fifth Street Gym in those days. And okay. uh, lucky enough, Miami Beach had, at that time, the top gym in the world. And Angelo Dundee was the head trainer. My grandfather was friendly with his brother, Chris. So we would go and watch. Wow. And among the people that we would watch was Muhammad Ali. Jimmy mm-hmm. Ellis was also a heavyweight <laughs> champion and Ali's top sparring partner. And many, mm-hmm. many other top fighters. So I got a love for boxing at a very early age, and I I went Mm -hmm. to several fights, and I I watched literally every fight on TV, and uh, Mm -hmm. I I just became a a big boxing fan. My first live fight, uh, George Foreman fought on the the card, Roberto Duran defended a title. It was uh, Michael Doak's pro debut. Yeah, it was the Hollywood wow. Sportatorium. I still remember that. And I remember watching the Rumble in the Jungle, Thrill in Manila as a little kid and just being, you know, it Me was too. a great time in boxing. Muhammad Ali was, you know, bigger than life. And uh, exactly. getting to see him live and, and speak to him and uh, speak to his, his, his lovely wife at the time, uh, you know, Belinda, who would be there, and Jimmy Ellis, who, who recently passed, who would be there, you know, and his brother, Rockman. They were all very friendly people. So it was mm-hmm. just a, a wonderful thing, and I always wanted to be in the boxing business. I didn't mm-hmm. know exactly how, and I remember being maybe eight or ten years old at school, and uh, they mm-hmm. asked everybody, you know, what do you want to be when you grow up? And this person said a nurse and a doctor and a fireman and a police officer, and I said, I want to be a boxing promoter like Don King. <laughs> I think everybody I'm pretty sure you got a bunch of laughs in there. 
Yeah, half of them didn't know what I meant, and uh, mm-hmm. I uh, I just have uh, always been in that direction, and I got involved with some local fighters here, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. you know, unofficially was helping them. And the first uh, well-known or somewhat well-known uh, boxing person, a fighter who I actually managed, uh, was a really interesting guy. His name was Mitch Blood Green. And, uh, I love Mitch Green. Mitch, is Mitch Green, that's the Mitch Green that got punched in the eye by Mike Tyson? Yes. In the ring and yeah. in the street, they fought. <laughs> and uh, so that was my first fighter, and uh, we had an interesting relationship. And uh, Oh, my God. I worked, yeah, I worked with some local fighters here in South Florida, Robert Daniels, who was a cruiserweight champion, and a guy named Melton Bowen, who was a heavyweight contender. And then uh, mm-hmm. uh, later... I ended up working with Shannon Briggs. Yeah, I heard. We had a, a wonderful run in uh, 2005 and 2006 yes, and uh, 2007 and, you know, all the way to the WBO World Heavyweight title, and uh, that was really something special. And, you know, I still have a couple of title belts here uh, at the house, thanks to that one from the WBO and one from Ring Magazine, both uh, wow. thanks to Shannon Briggs. and. That was a wonderful uh, opportunity in the sport. Okay. And you're not involved in the sport anymore now, so you just pretty much well, go to Vegas and go to a, fights and things like that? Yeah, I have a young fighter that I work with a little bit, you know, try to – not in a professional level because he, he's a, just literally a young kid. He just turned – or he's turning 15 uh, next month in November. He's only 14 now, mm-hmm. and he's the uh, – current world champion in his age in the 119-pound class. And Mm -hmm. uh, his name's Dominique Francis, and he's a heck of a fighter. And Mm -hmm. I'll also work with some other young fighters here and there. Uh, The Mm -hmm. last professional fighter that I worked with was Corey Spinks. And uh, since Corey retired, you know, he was a five-time world champion. I haven't worked with another fighter. doesn't mean I wouldn't, you know. I just haven't. And... uh, I was offered a couple fighters right at the end of Corey's career. I'm one of these people that just, if I work with a fighter, I take it very personally. I think mm-hmm. I take the losses even harder than the fighter does, unlike a lot of managers who, or promoters yep. who just, you know, it's irrelevant. They, they just care. grab the next guy. And uh, right. it, was, it was tough because he's such a talented guy and we've become so close. So it was tough at at the end there, and uh, I'm still close with, with with all the fighters I've been involved with. So I passed on a couple of very good fighters, probably mistakes to pass on them at different times, because, you know, and mm-hmm. uh, including one not that long ago. But I, if the right opportunity came, who knows? So you're still open for business, but you're just you're just. Would it be safe to say you're just a little picky of who you who you want to who you want to work with? Yeah, I think it would just be you know you just have to find it's almost like you know getting in a relationship. You just well, got to match. Yeah, that's what I mean. You, know? you want to be careful with who you're getting involved with. You don't just want to. You're just not one of not even that I'm judging the people just so that they would work well right. with me and that I would work well with them. And, right. Uh, and, and that makes sense. And, that makes sense. Yeah, young Dominique, I think just three or four years from now, which, uh, you know, goes so quickly, is, is going to uh, really impress people. I, I remember uh, some years back at a gym for, for a number of years down here with a, a number of mm-hmm. professional fighters training there. And a mm-hmm. young amateur came in who was getting ready for the uh, Olympic trials and, mm-hmm. that, named Terrence Crawford from Nebraska. Yeah, and I watched no this kid Crawford. and I said, wow, he's about 17. Wow, he really has something. And he was working with Anthony Wilson, chill they call him, getting ready for the mm-hmm. Olympic trials. And in Dominique Francis, the, the young boy is just going to turn 15. I see the same kind of talent. And the, and the same level that, that Crawford had at 17. Mm-hmm. So that, that's just right. how impressed I am with him. Yeah, because Terry Crawford uh, is, is becoming a superstar. Yeah, absolutely. And you could see he had that ability then, you know. And uh, mm-hmm. you, you never know. It, I had a guy a few couple years back, right when everything was winding down with Corey a few years back, tell me, you know, I got mm-hmm. this guy for you. Uh, he's, he was. I had managed his brother, and I, he had worked as a trainer for me. And he said, "You know, named Nicholas Walters from Jamaica. I never heard of him. You know, uh, we just went through a couple of losses. I, you know, I don't want to get involved with some unknown guy. And I never even checked it out. 
You know, right. I just, even as well as I knew him, I just wasn't in the right place. You know, it was like someone had just lost a friend, you know, because right. like, it was, exactly. I just felt exactly. so bad about exactly. it. And uh, it turns out he would have been a real good fighter to work with. I've heard nothing exactly. but great things about him, of course. So, no, and I get that, it. And that's, it has and that's taught me to be a little more open-minded <laughs> if someone brings exactly. me something. <laughs> exactly. Now, when you make your decision about about these fighters, is it more about the ability or is it a mixture of the ability and the personality, the, who the person is or what have you? Is that well, how you kind of make your decision? Well, you, I got to start with the ability because I learned that early on <laughs> that this, mm-hmm. this sport is unlike a lot of other sports. You know, you could be an agent or say, an NBA player that's the seventh, eighth, or tenth guy on the team, and you could still do well. In boxing, mm-hmm. if you can't be a world champion mm-hmm. or a near world champion, if you don't have that ability, it's never going to make sense as a business. So you've got to start with that, that the fighter has at least the ability to be a world champion. I didn't realize that early on, but I learned that. And then from there, yeah, you've got to see if as a person, if you really care about the, the job of managing a fighter, it becomes a very close relationship. So you just got to see that you gel and that you both have the uh-huh. same vision uh-huh. of what a path is going to look like. And, uh, right. I think that's one of the right. reasons Shannon and I were successful. Jamil McLean and I got the three world title shots, so I, I would like to have gotten the title. We came inches away, is because we had the same vision, and that, that's what, that's that's what I would look for in a fighter. Some, you know. Right. Right. So, let me ask you, um, with with all that you with all that you've done in boxing. Um, has what you did with Shannon Briggs been more satisfying than anything else? Um, certainly that night when we won, you know, the title in uh, it was November fourth of uh, uh-huh. two thousand six in in uh, Phoenix at the uh, the stadium there was the culmination for me. But I think every win just felt great, you know. Just you know, uh-huh. when you work with a fighter and you get Absolutely. to the fight and. And I've yeah, never absolutely. been in the position where I started with a fighter mm-hmm. that was highly regarded, highly rated, given mm-hmm. an HBO or Showtime contract. I've never been in that position. I've always started with guys that either were coming from nowhere or, or, or have been up but were now down. So, mm-hmm. it, you know, it's truly like a Rocky story in that when you see somebody come, you know, from where nobody wants to talk to them to <clears> – <throat> fighting for a championship, you know, fighting on national television, it's very satisfying. So all of them, all of them were good. I okay. just took the losses pretty hard. <laughs> oh, I get, I get it. I get it. I get it. You have a passion for it. Um, exactly. Scott, let me ask you this. Um, this <clears throat> let's talk a little bit about one of my, my, my all-time favorite fighters, uh, Floyd Mayweather. Um that's just, I mean, a guy from Grand Rapids. I'm, I'm a kid who was uh, born and raised in Detroit, Michigan. So I know Grand Rapids. I know where it is. I know, you know, how bad it can be, whatever, that area. Um, so <clears throat> for me, uh, the thing that impresses me about Floyd Mayweather is that he is, um, he really does the sweet science. Is pure boxing, and I'm a boxing purist. I like to see it in its purest form. Don't get me wrong. I like a rumble. I like to see people, you know, I like to see guys throwing punches and bunches and get hit. But I'm such a fan of the sweet science. And when I saw Floyd first when he started, I just thought, you know, the hand speed, the foot movement, the the hit and not get hit. I've been a I've been in love with that from day one. I've always loved it when Muhammad Ali, because Muhammad Ali was the first person you know, <clears throat> I actually saw do the hit and not get hit. And I'm talking about the black and white fights. I ain't talking about the color fights when he was getting his head knocked off, you know, when he was taking tough fights. But I always loved it. And to watch his career go and to watch how successful he's been, um, you know, there's a lot of people who don't like him, a lot of people who hate him. And, uh, you know, for me, I just think it's because, I mean, I mean, flat out, I think, I think, I think Floyd came in had a you know got a plan together and executed it, but I think the biggest thing why people hate Floyd, I think is because everybody was waiting for him to get his comeuppance and he never got it. He flashed, he bragged, 
He did everything he did, and he made a lot of money with it, and he left out unscathed, never would have lost. And I think people who don't like Floyd really hated that because I think they wanted to see him, quote, in their in their minds, quote, unquote, get humbled. And it just never happened. And I think that's why they're still talking about him now, even though he's been gone. <clears throat> I don't think he's coming back. At least I hope he doesn't. Um, and, um, you know, I just wanted to know your thoughts on, on Floyd Mayweather. I've met Floyd Mayweather before, and I've gotten to watch him work out for a three-hour workout at his gym. And like you said, um, you saw Muhammad Ali and those people do it. It was the same experience for me. When I saw it, it was just it was just like, man, this dude kills himself. Like this, is, like, this dude's not just talking. He's actually putting in the work behind it. And to see that was just amazing. So I just want to know your thoughts on uh, off Floyd Mayweather and what you think. Well, I would start with, in my opinion, Floyd is the best defensive fighter ever. Floyd is also in ring, in terms of ring generalship, making adjustments to other fighters' styles during the fight, Mm mid-fight adjustments, the best I've ever seen. And then you you Mm -hmm. just hit on something, and you can talk about all the greats of the past from Trigger Ray Robinson and Armstrong and Ali, and they were all truly great. But Floyd is the best conditioned fighter ever. And you couldn't have been as well conditioned because you didn't have access to all of the wonderful things you do today, you know? You couldn't train as much as Floyd trained because you didn't have all these other ways to recoup. You didn't have, you know, everything he has. And he's one of the hardest workers there's been, and people don't see that blue-collar side to him, which is a guy from Grand Rapids, Michigan, that's outworking all his opponents. They see a guy making it look easy in the ring, and it kind of looks easy because it's been so hard in the preparation. The hard work is done, you know, at the gym, which you may see or or most folks wouldn't see. And Floyd is not a true knockout artist, though he's certainly capable of knocking anybody out. Um, Mm -hmm. People don't appreciate that he's he's done what he's done, and it's, you know, tremendous with bad hands. And boxers having bad hands is like the equivalent of a a running back having a bad knee. It's almost almost unfathomable to think that here he is, maybe the greatest ever and certainly the greatest of this generation, and Mm -hmm. the most successful financially by far. And, oh, yeah. You know, oh, taking yeah. on one, I think you believe he fought 21 world champions, and he's got two bad hands, you know, that are constantly yep. Yep. giving him trouble. So yep. I just think he, he's a, he's a one-of-a-kind fighter. And remember, Ali was not beloved like he is today Absolutely. during his heyday. Absolutely. Many <laughs> people watch those fights hoping to see Ali lose. And and you know and, what's uh, funny? And the same thing is, that, is with Floyd. And I think mm-hmm, the next generation mm-hmm, will have an appreciation mm-hmm. for Floyd Mayweather when they look back. Oh, of course. And, and the thing about it is uh, the, the main beef that I've always had with a lot of my friends on Facebook is that, you know, there's a lot of criticism of, of Floyd. You know, they'll be like, you know, Floyd talked too much. He talked too much trashness. And I keep telling them, I said, dude, Muhammad Ali was like, I mean, Floyd is a little bit worse than Floyd. I said, but y'all don't understand. Man, Muhammad Ali was showing up at, at people's training camps talking trash. I mean, with the, you know, I'm talking about, uh, you know, a black gorilla calling a black man in the 70s a gorilla was controversial. You know, I said, man, I said, Muhammad Ali was talking more trash, just as much trash as, as Floyd was. I said, but y'all don't criticize him. You think it's okay. It was cool. I said, but it wasn't back then. And I said the same thing you did is that, you know, Muhammad Ali was, um, a great fighter, but he talked trash just like Floyd. He was flashy. He bragged on himself. He did the same things that Floyd does outside the ring, as far as the braggadocious, the promote. But I mean, he was. I mean, they promote a fight. I mean, that's what they do. But but some of that is who they really are. And you know what I find is I find it hypocritical that they they they're so badly beat on him about that. And I'm like, but Muhammad Ali was the same, you know. And I I present this and I said this to a lot of people. Um and a lot of people don't like it. But I told him, I said, let's be honest. I said, I said, Floyd is a better boxer, pure boxer, than Muhammad Ali was, in my opinion. I said, but here's the thing that gets it. I said, you guys don't appreciate Floyd. I said, but, the only, I said, but let's keep it straight. And this is just me being honest. 
uh, Scott. But I said Muhammad Ali is beloved so much by the black community because of what he did outside the ring. Inside the ring, he wasn't as well respected as he was. They liked him. Trust me, liked having a black heavyweight champion. I said, but what he did outside the ring, the throwing away of the gold medal, the not going to Vietnam, the three years or whatever he lost from his career, I said, what he stood for, being with Malcolm X and being a Muslim, I said, those are what why he's so beloved now more than he was his boxing. I said, so to sit here and act like, well, you know, Muhammad Ali was this great figure in his ground. I said, yeah, he did a lot. Don't get me wrong. I can't, you can't compare the outside the ring stuff with, with Floyd. It's, it's not comparable. Even though I know for a fact Floyd feeds the homeless, he does a lot of things that he doesn't get in front of the camera and say, look what I did. But the thing that bothers me, though, is that I tell him all the time, Muhammad Ali back in his day, what he did outside the ring, losing his career for those three years and the stuff that he stood for is the biggest thing, I think, why people beloved him, more than the more than what was in the ring, you know, more so. I'm Not that they weren't proud of it. I was proud of him as being a black heavyweight champion. But I, but, but what he did outside the ring is more what I think he's appreciated for than the, than the boxing. And it's almost sacrilege to say that, you know, Floyd is a better boxer than Muhammad Ali. But, I mean, they have different, they have different views. And, you know, I personally agree with you as far as financially. I don't, I mean, honestly, I don't think nobody will make more money than, than Floyd will ever make in boxing. I just, I don't see it. I don't see that. That guy left, you know, damn near a billionaire if he isn't. And I'm just like, really? You know, I just don't think nobody can touch it. And I, and, and the funny thing is I don't see a lot of fighters following the same blueprint. And that's what I don't see. And I'm surprised because I would think that they would follow that, 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 that blueprint, you know, of starting your own promotion, which some of them are, and just doing it the way Floyd did it. But I don't know, you know, you're more inside than I am. Um, and, you know, you're, you know, I agree with you 110% about, about uh, Floyd and your feelings about Floyd. Um, and he's really a, really a nice guy. When I met him, he was he was a very open, down-to-earth guy. I mean, you would never think that he was, you know, who he is because I got to see him when, you know, they were at the, we were at the gym. Wasn't that many people in there at that time. Um, I remember meeting him, and then like a half hour later, Joe Jackson walks in. And I was just like, this day couldn't get any better than this. This is crazy. And he's a really nice guy, too, very down to earth. Um, but, um, you know, I just, like I said, you being in the boxing business, you know, to hear you say that makes me feel like, okay, I was right about what I said. But, you know, there's a lot of people out there that, that, that really don't like Floyd, that just, you know, hate what he did. And I think he did a lot of good for boxing, a lot of good for boxing. I think guys are making more money now because of um, because of him, um, and especially the, the – um, the uh, drug testing, I think, is a good thing, too, um, which nobody gives him very much credit with, but I, I give him a lot of credit for doing it. Um, but let me ask you this question, uh, Scott. Um, what do you think about um, Al Heyman? Do you know Al Heyman? And can you tell me a little bit about what he's brought to the table? Because to a man, I've heard all boxes, they love him. Promoters, other promoters hate him. But to a man, I've heard some of the biggest names in boxing who are men just say, he's a great guy, da 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 But I didn't know if you wanted to shed any light on that or knew anything about uh, Al Heyman. Sure. I mean, to say I know Al Heyman would be a little bit of an exaggeration. You know? I, I know right, right. of Al. I know a lot about Al. I've been in the same you know business as him. And I know exactly. a lot of those who are very close to him, you know, uh-huh. Am Watson mm-hmm. and uh, – Louis de Cooper's Jr. and a lot of these guys were like his lieutenants. I have a much closer relationship right. with. But what I do know about Al is he also, much like me, has a tremendous loyalty to the fighters he's worked with. And many fighters find that the day that their fighting career is over, those relationships end and there's nowhere to go. And Al, I know of, you know, and I don't want to embarrass, you know, some former fighters who were, who were great champions and, you know, and I have a lot of respect for. But I know of right. three different fighters who started with Al and have run into different types of problems, you know, and Al has gone way above and beyond. Not during their career, not when they had any, you know, value, value, now, you know, right. but later, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, in life when he was doing it from the heart. And secondly, I think that he's done a great job of maximizing the value of all these fighters 
I can never figure out in, in Floyd's incredible superstardom. Is it eighty percent Floyd and twenty percent Al, or eighty percent Al and twenty percent, or fifty-fifty? And I think only those with the most intimate knowledge would know. Exactly. But obviously, the two of them have done a great job together. And if you mm-hmm. look at Al's earliest fighters, Vernon Forrest and Antonio Tarver, and some of these other guys that uh, you know had some had some great success, and he's had great loyalty too, and. Uh, and guys like an Andre Berto who have fallen on losses and have seemed to be able to become recycled, you know? Yeah, exactly. He doesn't give up exactly. on a guy when he loses one. So I have a lot of respect for him, and uh, I have a lot of respect for what he's done in the sport. I think that he's mm-hmm. tried a new paradigm. And any time you break a a business model that benefits a lot of people and you, you break out of it, that's going to be threatening to those people, and I think that's what's caused yeah. a lot of the negativity is mm-hmm. nobody wants to lose money. Our last week was with uh, Don King, who's a mm-hmm. dear friend and, uh, you know, probably the most successful boxing promoter ever if you look at, you know, career from the yeah. Rumble in the Jungle, mm-hmm. the Thrill in Manila, mm-hmm. to all the Tyson mm-hmm. fights and Trinidad mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Chavez and on and on and on. Mm-hmm. And uh, he has nothing but but the highest regard for Alan, what he's doing and uh, wow. really, you know, sees him, I guess, as uh, the next generation. Wow. And, and that's yeah, we were what, talking about this just last week. Wow. I mean, the biggest thing I, I, I know, uh, Scott, is, um, you know, the fighters love him. And, so, and see, to me, and see, to me, you know, I'm on the outside, but when I kept seeing, Everybody saying Al is this, Al is great, blah 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 blah. And I'm sitting here going like, man, you know, all these fighters are, you know, praising this guy. And then, you know, with the new, uh, what's to call it, the uh, the new boxing PBC? show thing that he start. Yeah, 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 the PBC yeah, the premier boxing show and all these things. And and everybody and everybody loves it. Um, you know, the boxers all to a to a man, just like I love this, I love the platform. We're getting to be seen by other people and this you know, and it's great. And it seems to me that the boxers must be making a lot of money, a lot more money than they were with Al Heyman. And I knew when I heard what they were saying and then I heard uh Oscar De La Hoya, uh what's the other guy's name? The other guy Bob Aram. Bob Aaron, you know, with this ranting and raving, and he's bad for business, this and that. And I figured it out. You know, that's when I started to figure it out. I said, okay, somebody here must be losing money, you know, because to be honest, you never saw back in when, when we were growing up, you didn't see boxers. Boxers were rich, but you didn't see boxers retiring like I'm rich and I'm cool and I'm good. And you don't, you don't hear about them no more. And then next thing you know, you hear them on hard times. There's that, there's that. So somewhere along the line, the promoters are making all the money, and the boxers weren't. Now it's kind of flipped. And not only Boy, was it now, the money, but the mm-hmm. other thing that Al has put in the hands of the Floyd Mayweathers and some of these top fighters is control. As great as Ali was, and you know, and like you said, if you look at what he did outside the rink and inside mm-hmm. the ring together, he, mm-hmm. you could say he's one of the greatest people of his generation. Forget about just great exactly. fighters, you know. Absolutely. But as Absolutely. great as he was, he never truly controlled his own career. No, it was did. controlled by promoters. It was controlled by his management, Herbert Muhammad, and he didn't make, he didn't call his own shots. He fought who and, no, he and, and to his credit, he fought anyone, anytime, anywhere. But he fought basically, you know, who they had for him, and he did it right. under those terms. He didn't dictate where it was gonna where he was gonna fight. He wasn't in that type of position. And now has that. empowered Floyd to 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 call all the shots, and I think that's caused a lot of the resentment and i think that uh you know they bought their way out of the top rank contract which was you know unusual smart. nobody pays the now. promoter it, it right. looks very right. smart in hindsight but it was you know it was risking whatever was close to a million dollars you know exactly. and then exactly. on top of that agreed to an 80 20 split taking only 20 percent of the, the pay-per-view to fight de la hoya knowing that winning that fight would put him at another stratosphere, you know, mm-hmm. and that, that they would did. go from there. Mm-hmm. And that's what they did. And they, you know, so they took some chances and they took the short end of the stick a few times 
And then ultimately, mm-hmm. they were mm-hmm. in a position to dictate. They had become, as people say in boxing, the proverbial A's guide. And he dictated everything. And I think that's what upset some people because they're not ready to accept that a boxer, a young, brash guy, you know, is going to be not only the best fighter, but making all the decisions. Yeah. And, and then if you want to fight him, you're going to do it on his terms. Exactly. And I, and I, and to me, and just me and you talking here, to me, you know, I think there are, uh, I think the sport, I think personally, boxers should have that right. Because I'm sorry, that's one of the few sports where you get your head knocked off. I mean, you get your head beat, your body beat to a pulp. You know, I, I, you know, just like I think it's a travesty that football doesn't get guaranteed contracts. You know, like like basketball players. I said it's amazing. The, the sports that are the, I said the sports that are given all the guarantees are the sports that are, are the least amount of, of chances that you know you're going to get into get hurt and get into an accident. I said football is the most. Is probably I would I would I would equate to boxing. The only difference is they have a little bit of padding on to protect themselves. But those are the two main sports that it's like it's like man, how does that work? You know, you get your body beat, your head beat, your brain rattled, and you're not supposed to have any control. Like you're not supposed to call like who you want to fight, when you want to fight, where you can, and what. I mean, to me, that's what I love about Al Heyman is that you're right. He did give him. He's giving them control. You know, I've heard boxers say they're making more money with Al Heyman. Like, I never thought I could make this much money, and da 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 And I'm like, that's great. And I'm, you know, and the, and and so hearing you say that <clears throat> confirms that. And um, you know, I, I, you know, for me, for my taste, I've never liked Bob Arum that much. Anyway, I think he's a he's a lying sack of doo doo. But I mean, I, I don't, you know, the whole the whole Pacquiao thing was ridiculous. I, you know, I lost respect for Pacquiao after he did that. You know, the whole I was hurt and my shoulder. And I'm like, come on, dude. You can't tell me you was your shoulder. I, I, I've had basketball players who I know, who I've coached with that. And I know it's not, you don't raise your hands. You can't move your hands like that and do that. But that being aside, um, I just knew that Al was doing something good for boxing when, you know, when you, when you, when you told me that. I, I figured that out when I saw the two sides conflicting. When I saw the boxers happy and I saw Oscar and them do it, that was cool. You know, I didn't like Oscar's shot at, at, you know, Floyd. You know, it's good to see him gone. And it was like, come on, man. And I, and I know, and I know. let's be honest, Oscar De La Hoya ran boxing for a while. He did the same thing. But now when somebody else does it, you don't like it? Like, how does that work, you know? Well, I don't believe he ever really – Really, really ran it. While he did have his own promotional company, he wasn't there mm-hmm. running that on a day-to-day basis. He only right. a name, and I believe that you know Oscar is more of a uh, get with the system kind of guy. And right. you know he had a long-time partnership with HBO, but at the end of the day, they right. you know they called the shots mm-hmm. to a great degree. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And for whatever reason, he had such a brilliant career, and obviously he's made so much money and had so much success. Mm-hmm. I don't mm-hmm. know why he feels this jealousy or resentment towards Floyd Mayweather or anyone because he, he shouldn't, you know, he, he, he's had so much you know success of his own that I don't understand it. But it's clear that he cannot hold it back, and it keeps coming out in his comments. And I thought in the beginning it was just part of the act, you know, when Golden yeah, was involved I mean, that, in I mean, promoting. And then I realized it's not part of the act, and I can't say I understand it, because this is a guy that shouldn't envy or, or whatever anyone, you know, he, he he's done so well himself. I think it's. I honestly think it's, it's. It's. He's never let go of the bitterness from their fight and from him winning, whether he liked the decision or not. I just think it comes from. I just think it's a jealousy. I just think it's just a jealousy. I don't understand why, you know. But I mean, it's just a jealousy. And some of the things he said about Floyd, I'm just like, wow, man. You know, it's crazy. Um, but, you know, like I said, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm going to miss Floyd. And like I said, I, I'm watching the fights now, but I'm, I'm waiting for some good fights. Um, I'm looking forward to, uh, seeing, which I think is, should happen, but I don't know when it's going to happen. But I think that, um, I would love to see a uh, triple G fight, uh, um, Canelo, which I don't know if that'll happen, but I would love to see that fight. I think that'll be a rough and tumble fight. I don't think he'll beat Golovkin, but, you know, who knows? Um, but, you know, you never you know, know. 
I'd say this, that Canelo uh, will be the best fighter Golovkin has ever faced, so we don't know if they fought. You know, he's never faced anyone as good as Canelo. Not that he doesn't right. look like a world beater, he does when he fights, but what happens when we put someone else in there that's at that A-plus level? Nobody knows. Right. And that's, and that's why I still think, you know, I knew David Lemieux wasn't going to do nothing for him. I knew that would be a slugfest. You know, and David, I knew, the only reason why I knew David Lemieux would not win that fight was because I knew David Lemieux was not a defensive fighter. He's a knock on, he's a rock em sock em robot fighter. He'll get in there and he'll just keep hitting you until somebody's head comes off. And he's not going to defend himself. What we, and I, I believe Andre Ward can beat Triple G only because Andre Ward is like a Floyd Mayweather. He's a, he's smart. He's going he's gonna to make adjustments. He's going to move. He's going to use his feet. He's not going to stand there in front of Golovkin and I'm going to stand here all day and bang it out with you. He's going to get what he can get from him, and he's going to make Golovkin miss. He's going to make Golovkin – Golovkin's going to have to find him, and he's going to have to stalk him. I don't believe then leaves anyone that with, um, that – I'm sorry, they saw, like, Lemieux fight Rubio and get knocked out in that fight. Really believed he could beat Golovkin. I mean, yeah. you know, he, he is a very tough guy. He tries very hard, but he's not mm-hmm. in that elite class. And no, HBO tried to sell him to the public as something he's not. And I right. don't believe and the I public bought it, and that's why there was only about 100,000 pay-per-view buys because – you know, people want Golovkin to be a star, but the reason that they haven't fully accepted him and the reason that they had to sell the ticket, you know, they talked about, we sold out Madison Square Garden so cheap. At what price? $20 tickets exactly. in 2015? And, exactly. you know, the pay-per-view didn't sell us. People want to see him face somebody else that where nobody knows who's going to win before the fight. Another A-plus exactly. level fighter. Just one. Exactly. You know, exactly. whether it's Ward, whether it's Canelo. And mm-hmm. I don't think people dislike Golovkin. You know, people say, oh, there's a lot of hate. No, people hate on Mayweather, maybe Pacquiao, et cetera. People just right. want to see Golovkin prove it. Right. Think that's prove it against somebody that we know. Nobody who, you know. Who, right. Right. You want to see him go against somebody with some resistance. You want to see what right. happens when Golovkin gets hit with a good punch. What happens when... You know, when he gets when, when he has to get when he gets knocked down, is he gonna get back up? Can he handle it? And we wanna see him come we wanna see him come through somebody that's like, Okay, it's not just paper. I mean, that we wanna see somebody give some give and take, some you know, and that's what it is, you know, that and that was the main knock even on, on, on Mayweather. You know, he hasn't fought anybody. And I told him I said, until you go but I was telling my friends, I said, until you go back and look at all forty forty nine fights, if you went back and looked at all forty nine fights, I said, you would know that he, he he fought somebody. The fact that he has 22, what, 22 defeated world champions, I mean, more than anybody else, I'm like, and you say he didn't fight nobody? I mean, look at all the belts he put on Facebook the other day. And I'm looking at him like, this dude, like, he's he won. Like, this is, like, we can't, you can't, like, that argument is out the window, you know, but we haven't seen Golovkin face anybody like that. We've only seen Golovkin fight. Yeah, if you fight. go back to Mayweather's first title fight against Gennaro Hernandez, that was at 130 yeah, that pounds. Was Golovkin yep. has never fought a guy as good as Hernandez. You know, when he nope. when he unified the 130-pound belt, you know, this is very mm-hmm. early in his career against Chico uh, yep. Corrales. Golovkin certainly never fought a great fighter like Corrales. So Floyd from early in his career, whether that or he was stepping up to welterweight and beating the guys like Gaddy and et cetera, you know, he's always fought guys who are at or near the Hall of Fame level. Whether it's Zach Judah or Shane Mosley yeah. or Miguel yeah. Cotto. Yeah. yeah. And, I so said, and, and the thing about it is he fought Chico. You can't. You can't. You can't. When he fought Corrales, remember, I told him, I said, Corrales was knocking everybody out at that time. He was beating everybody. He was undefeated. And he when was he a got great fighter. Exactly. He and was he, a great he fighter. Was and he, made and he, he was unbelievably big and tall for a 130-pounder. Exactly. And I think that the exactly. public was very split at the moment on who would win. Yeah. I mean, I didn't know if he would and be Corrales. It might have been, you know, Corrales most doing... brilliant mm-hmm. or, or one yeah. of his most brilliant performances ever. And this is Corrales that brought us wars against Casamayor and, yes. and uh, you know, and against, uh, of course, Castillo and many others. And he was just not even competitive with Floyd. 
And and that's and that's what I said. I said that's why I tell a lot of these these guys who say he hasn't fought anybody. I said, see, you guys don't own, know anything. You know everything since just like I tried to tell. I said you know everything since De La Hoya, or or even later. I said, but you haven't gone back to all the fights in the past. You know when he fought all these other guys because there were guys, there were no name guys. I mean, uh, what's the guy named from DC? Uh, 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 shoot, Chop Chop. I can't remember the. Man, Chop Chop, I told him, I said, go back and watch that Chop Chop Corley fight. And you tell me that wasn't no tough fight. I said, man, that, I, I ain't never I seen Floyd got hit in that fight with some good ones. I said, he fought some guys that were no-name guys, but not no-name, like you don't talk about them now in, in, the, in their greatness now. But Chop Chop, I said, man, Chop Chop was a problem. I mean, I, mean I, I told him, I said, those are tough fights. I mean, I saw that. Yep, my first so, I mean, life was, fight was, fight. Was, was Angel Man Freddy here. And at that time, yeah. Manfredi was a hell of a lightweight, even though Floyd dominated exactly. him. He, he was a heck the, of a lightweight. Was it the first lightweight. round? Was it, the first round? Yeah. it was the second round. It was like the second round? Second round. They had stopped the yep. fight. He was beating the crap out of him. I was and, like, uh, nah, and that was a, You know, at the time, one of the top lightweights in the world, you know? Yep. yep. I mean, that wasn't yep. a given that Floyd would win. And, uh, and I had seen Floyd in the amateurs. I had certainly seen him on TV a lot, but Seeing him live that night, I realized I was seeing something I had never seen before. Yep, and and that and that's that's what I love. That's what I loved about watching Floyd because there was the unpredictability. It was to see the different ways he he, he won. Because if you look at it, and you, and uh, if you look at, I mean, to me, Cotto fight was a was a tough fight. That was a real tough fight. Oh, Cotto's a tough yeah. fight for anybody. He's yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I've never saw a guy uh, hit that. You know, much. he put on a heck of a show. Exactly. When Floyd elected to fight in the pocket, he didn't move nearly yes. as much as he usually does. So he nope, made it a very entertaining fight, too. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Um, well, and You hit on something, being from Michigan. There's just yep. such a great tradition of boxers that have come out of there, yep, both from Detroit is. and Grand Rapids, yep. that you you know, it almost doesn't that make sense. You know, when yep. you go back to Joe Lewis or Tommy Hearns, and Milton McCrory and uh, all of these guys, Hilmer Kenty, yep. Gerald McClellan, exactly. all the, the great crunk yep. fighters. And if you exactly. look at even Grand Rapids, you've got Buster Mathis, senior and junior, Tony Tucker, uh, yes, uh, James Tony, originally from there and uh, still a Michigan yep. fighter through and through, yep. and all of the Mayweathers. And so it, mm-hmm. there's just been so many great fighters that have come out of Michigan, the amateur yes, system there and the these yep. slick fighters, you know. Yeah. So, and yep. uh, my my dearly departed friend, Emmanuel Stewart, who uh, I still miss to this day, maybe the greatest trainer of all time. My opinion, he was absolutely. You know, absolutely. Just, there's something about coming from that area exactly. that just breeds, you know, a slickness and, and a that you, you. I don't think you can teach outside of those gyms where mm-hmm. other fighters have it. Absolutely. Um, well. We got two minutes left in the show. It's gone very fast, but it's been very, very, very fulfilling for me and very interesting. And I just want to say, uh, Scott, I really thank you for coming on the show. In the next three months, uh, we're going to definitely get you back. I'm going to definitely call you, uh, you know, get you back on here. Um, I also want to uh, let everybody know that uh, I'm not telling Scott this because he's here, but I'm going to just assume is that whenever there's a big fight coming along, we're going to get him on. We're going to get Scott on uh, to come on and talk about boxing when a big fight comes up. I would love to get you back on and have your opinion on it. Um, but, Scott, I really want to thank you. Much success to Abs- you and Absbar in three months. Like I said, when you get it back up, you contact me. We'll get you back on the show. Um, I want to thank you for your interviewing with me. I want to thank you for taking the time. Um, and uh, much success to you. And like I said, if any of you want to look it up, please look up Scott Hurst. You know, research him, look at him, and please look at the uh, the apps bar um, and take advantage of it and look at it. And Scott, I just want to say thank you, man, uh, for coming on. I want to thank him, and uh, God bless you, man. And uh, we we're with that. We're we're out of here. Thank you, Scott. I appreciate thank it, man. So much I really for do. having me. You no, we it. always thank going so any any old time. Thank you so much, sir. You thank you. It. Good night, everybody. Talk to you later.
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.